Good morning. turn our Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. Now before we, uh, before we get into the Word this morning, I think I need to pray. <laughs> so would you join me as I pray for us as we approach God in His Word? Let's pray. Father, as we approach your word uh, this morning, may the words of my mouth, God, and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. And Father, we pray that you'll be in our hearts as well, to together as a family to receive your word uh, together. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work, bearing witness about the good news of the gospel, as it is told to us through your servant Paul in his letter uh, to Timothy. And so, God, we pray that as we receive your word together, we pray that you'll be glorified in our midst. And as we see you on your throne, God, we pray that you'll satisfy our hearts. And we thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 1 uh, through 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a blue pew Bible that's in front of you. And I believe it uh, should be on page 995. Uh, if you don't have a physical Bible at home, and if you'd like one, uh, please consider that Bible that you're holding to be uh, our gift to you. It is our hope and prayer uh, that in the reading of God's Word uh, that He would reveal Himself to you. Uh, in ways that are powerful and life-giving uh, for you. Now, before we uh, get into the reading of God's Word, let me just start us off this way. As I thought and um, prayed about what to preach on, and this process uh, happened fairly quickly um, after the decision was made for our family uh, to make the transition over to joy, uh, fairly quickly uh, God put this passage in my heart. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14, and it kept coming back to this passage. And 2 Timothy, the letter as a whole, uh, many of you may know that is that this is the last record we have of any of Paul's uh, correspondence. And at the end of his life, what we find is that he's more focused than ever before on the one task that was given to him, the one task that he had at hand. And as he's writing this letter to Timothy, uh, he wants the same task and the same level of focus uh, to be fixed on Timothy as well. And so what was the task uh, that he was singularly focused on? And I think we get a good picture of that uh, in Philippians, actually, in another letter in chapter 3, where Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, he says, one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The singular task that he was laser focused on was his calling. And we're going to see what that calling is in a moment, but what I love to do 
is for us to learn uh, from these words that he wrote to Timothy uh, together. And let me just say, uh, for, you know, either for those of you that are here uh, with us this morning or for any of you uh, watching online, uh, I just want to say that this sermon is going to be mainly for the church. And so for those of you uh, that are again here or maybe tuning in that may not be a Christian and you know, exploring the faith of Christianity, um, I did want to uh, tell you that up front. It may sound a little bit uh, crafted for it, kind of in-house a conversation, but hopefully even for those of you that are exploring Christianity, uh, this may give you an opportunity and get a glimpse of what the church is about, what the mission of the church is. And so again, let me go back to this question. So what was Paul's ministry? What was the task that was given to him? Well, in a word, it was to embody and to share at all costs, right, the good news of the gospel that told us that God was in the business of renewing all things, Right, All things through the life, death, and resurrection, ascension, and the promised return of Jesus Christ. The whole scope of the life and ministry of Jesus to bear witness to that. Right, This message uh, was at the forefront of his life. And as we get to the letter, what we see is that he's passing on this task to Timothy, his beloved dear son in the faith. And so with that being said... Uh, let me read this passage uh, for you. First Timothy, uh, verses 1 through 14. This is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not a fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Amen. So here is Paul having received the singular task of being a minister of the gospel, bearing witness through his body and his words and his actions, the good news of Jesus 
that spanned the scope of, his, scope of his life, his teaching, and his ministry. And he's coming down to Timothy and saying, I want you to carry on this task. And for Paul, here's what he was convinced of. Paul was so fully convinced that this good news of the gospel was so vast in its scope, that it's so rich and so beautiful, that it could accommodate the singular focused attention of not just himself, of not just Timothy, but of every single person on the planet. That the gospel was so large, the gospel was so powerful, the gospel was so uh, uh, able to change every single person's life. Paul's conviction was that the gospel could accommodate the laser-focused attention of not just himself and Timothy, but every single person on this planet, which means if you are a Christian, here is where you find your calling, to be a minister of the gospel in every sphere of your life, in the way you work, in the way you interact and love on your family, in the way that you see yourself, all of these orbit around the singular call that you have in being the carrier, courier, and the minister of the gospel. And so here's what I'd like to do for us as we hear from and learn from the words of the Apostle Paul, I'd like to uh, look at this calling under three headings. And here are the three, uh, three uh, headings. The, the first is that we'll see that this call is old but new. Second is we'll see that this call is delicate. But paradoxically, the last thing that we'll see is that this call is powerful. This call is old but new. This call is delicate. But also, this call is powerful. So let's take a look at these three things. First, this call is old, but new. Now, let me break this down. First, this call is old. Now, if you were to look at verse 5, uh, here's what it says. Here's Paul speaking. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Now, what we find here is that as he starts off this letter where he charges Timothy to live out his calling, notice here that Paul doesn't go straight to Timothy and start speaking to him directly. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He first remembers the shoulders that Timothy is standing on. He's remembering the people that have come before Timothy. Now, notice, if you actually go back a couple of verses to verse 3, even as Paul talks about himself, notice what Paul says here. He says, I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. And so here's what Paul is doing. Paul is recognizing that in a profound sense, this life-altering calling that he's asking Timothy to join him on is much bigger than him as the individual. He's also recognizing that this calling that you and I share now is not a novel one that is removed from the context of history, but he's recognizing that this call is an ancient one that has been passed down to us. And as we'll see in a moment, one that ought to be passed down into the next generation. And there are two things that I want to point out quickly here. 
the first thing that we need to remember is that Paul's under no illusion that those who came before him were perfect in their faith. Mind you, as he thinks about his own ancestors, right, you may recognize that Paul's ancestors had no knowledge of Jesus and his work. The faith that he inherited was essentially that of a Jewish faith with an incomplete picture of the gospel. And yet, Paul, we see, is not dismissive of them. In fact, he understands fully that his reception of the gospel has been profoundly shaped by the way the faith was passed down to him. And a quick, a quick application for us, this is the reason why we can't just dismiss the Old Testament. And so we can find the gospel in the New Testament. You cannot understand the gospel of the New Testament without understanding the rich historical, cultural background of the Old Testament in which God was powerfully working. So Paul is not dismissive of the past. And while there are necessary correctives that Paul brings in his proclamation of the gospel, nevertheless, there are things that Paul looks back to and rightly looks to and celebrates. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is as he talks about the faith that was passed down to Timothy, and I love this point here, Paul recognizes And we ought to recognize as well that there wasn't anything really extraordinary about the people who passed this faith down to him. Right, Eunice and Lois, right, Uh, Timothy's mother and his uh, grandmother, right, they're forever etched into history because they're mentioned in the Bible here, but there's no mention of them anywhere else in the Bible, nor does Paul at this point here go to great lengths to kind of highlight their great accomplishments, And as far as we know, these were ordinary women living faithfully in the mundaneness of everyday life. And yet, there was something so glorious about the faith that they possessed that they now passed down to Timothy. What we see here, by the time we get to Paul's letter here, is that there's something extraordinary working in and through Timothy, in the work that Timothy did in building up the early church that would go on to change the course of world history. Now, what does that mean for us? Recognize that the faith that was passed down was not perfect by any means, and it was ordinary in many ways. When we look at our history, Here's what we tend to do, and it may depend on your age or your cultural background. When we look at our history, we tend to gravitate towards either of the two extremes. On the one extreme, we either tend to lionize the past, right? idolize those who have come before us and the history uh, that we have. Or on the other hand, in the other extreme, we tend to dismiss the past and disregard those who came before us. My guess is that the older that we get, we tend to fall more towards the former than the latter. But here's the challenge for us, and here's the issue with that, though. If you idolize history, here's what happens. You become captive to tradition. We see a lot of churches uh, fall into this trap. 
And what we do is we tend to inherit the same blind spots of those who have come before us. And so instead of repenting of those things and, and opening ourselves to the new work that God is uh, wanting to do in our community, uh, we find ourselves asleep at the wheel. Right? So that's the danger of one extreme. But if you go to the other extreme and you dismiss history then you're captive all the same, except now you're captive to novelty. And we become caught in our arrogance, right? We, we, we find ourselves reinventing the wheel over and over again, and every insight that we think we have, we think is brand new, and we think we're better than those who have come before, and when in fact we find ourselves making the same mistakes over and over again and never learning from them, and we find ourselves asleep to the fact that God has been doing an extraordinary work that's, that spans across history. We are not the first ones on this planet to have gotten a glimpse of Jesus. And friends, the one thing that struck me during my time here at Grace, and I think the lesson was crystallized especially as we celebrated our 75th anniversary last year, is witnessing the faithfulness of so many in our community that continues to bear fruit in our midst today. And like, I remember one of the first moments when I stepped foot in the church, it was astounding to me how many people that I spoke to that are just like fully grown adults and chil- with children and some even with grandchildren who said, yeah, like I, I grew up in this church. And we have three of them right here on staff, no less. And friends, if you're going to continue growing as a church, It's not going to happen apart from recognizing, celebrating, and learning from those who have come before us and recognizing that there are mighty shoulders on which we stand. And let me just say this for those of you that that are here today that uh, may be new to our church. Uh, One thing that I would encourage you with is as you get plugged into the community of Grace Church, let me encourage you to learn from and be curious about the history of our church. Now, I want to be honest with you. One of the things that I was most excited about as I was coming to Grace was, and probably in my uh, arrogance, all the ways that I thought I could bring change to our church. I have all this ministry experience in these different contexts, and I can't wait to contribute to the growth of grace. And and that's what I was most excited about, to bring fresh eyes as someone who's new to our church and is new to the suburbs. But real quickly, there's a shift in the way that God led me. Because soon I found that actually the most exciting thing about my ministry here at Grace has been to sit and listen to hear stories after story about the ministry that took place in this very building. The way broken people found healing. The way children, generation after generation, were nurtured in the love of God and into His community. The way the Bible, I imagine from this very spot, was opened up and made alive for people. 
And I found it to be just astounding to be reminded that God has been at work long before any of us got here. And more specifically at Grace Church, He has been at work for the past 75 plus years. And we, if we are to grow as a church, we need to understand that we are the beneficiaries of those who came before us. Now let me say this real quickly as we wrap up point one. So this calling is nothing new, it's old. But at the same time, we need to recognize that this calling is also new. Because see, every generation is asking this question, what does it look like for us to live in light of the gospel in the here and now? It's great that we inherited this beautiful faith and the calling to proclaim the mercies of God as displayed to us in the gospel. But what difference does it make in my life in the here and now and in our culture in the here and now? And let me just say, many Christians, I will say, are panicking right now, are we not? With all of the apparent turmoil that we are experiencing as a culture and especially as a country, but friends, if you were to look at church history you'd understand that there's nothing new under the sun. There's always been some kind of culture war that's been going on in the secular world that the church was tempted to jump into. There's always been some kind of heresy that the church needed to be vigilant against and teaching against. There's always been some threat to the faith of our youth that the church needed to address as a family. And while the issues are as old as time, The call of the church of today is to make this calling new. And instead of sitting on the sidelines, kind of twiddling our thumbs and wanting to wait it out, or cowering in fear in the holy huddle, if you will, of the safety net of the church, the calling is to make this ancient story ever true to the next generation. And friends, this is the work that is going to take the entire church. It is not up to the children's ministry. It is not up to the youth ministry. If you are an adult sitting here in this room, it is your calling. Whether you are a biological parent or not, one thing that you can be is a spiritual parent. To every child, to every young adult in our congregation. And it is our calling, yours and mine, just as the legacy that was left behind for us to likewise, to leave a legacy that may be imperfect, yes, that may look ordinary, absolutely, but to leave a legacy of faithfulness and intentionality in our efforts to live out of the good news of the gospel in the here and now. And friends, in that sense, starting from right here within this community, every single one of you is a missionary that is working hard to soak in the good news of the gospel and be asking questions about how is this applicable to the life of those around me, how can I exhibit the glorious good news of the gospel through word and deed, in the here and now, in the spaces that God has called me to? This calling is old, 
but new. Now secondly, what we'll also find is that this call can be delicate. Now what do I mean by this? Now let me break up uh, this passage this way. There are three elements to this calling that's highlighted here, and let me work my way backwards uh, of the te- from the text. So the first calling that we find that I'll highlight here is ver- found in verse 14. Paul tells Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit that's entrusted to you. The good deposit is referring to sound doctrine, right? We've seen in the sermon series that came before in the book of Galatians that there were false teachers that were always lurking in the, in the early church, and I would argue continues until today. And so it was important for Timothy to guard and teach accurately what the church was to believe, Right? There are these propositions that we hold to be true, that we hold to be sacred, right? That Jesus is both God and man. That the triune God is three in one, right? Three persons, one substance, the, you know, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? We believe and hold true and hold to be sacred the truth that the Bible is the inherent, inerrant word of God, et cetera, et cetera, right? They're all important things. And what Paul is charging Timothy with is to guard to treasure, and to live out of what is true, no matter where the winds of culture try to take us. Right? So the first calling of the church is to be the guardians of the truth. But notice the second calling that I want to highlight here that cannot be separated from the first. At the same time, Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. See, here's what tends to happen with uh, churches that can be doctrine-heavy and say we are the bastion of truth in a culture that is preaching falsehood. What happens with a lot of those churches is they tend to take on a certain flavor, don't they? Militaristic imperialistic, judgmental towards outsiders. But here's what Paul is showing us. If you actually hold on to what is true and you proclaim that which is true, it's going to take on a certain flavor. Your witness will look a certain way. And what's that? What is it that we are called to proclaim? It's the truth of an unimpressive, suffering Savior. Do you realize that your Savior didn't come to save you riding on a war horse? No, He entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Do you realize that your Savior didn't save you with this savvy political campaign with a huge following? No, He saved you by being humiliated, by being stripped naked, hanging on a cross like a petty criminal, while the few followers He had ran away in fear. And see, friends, to guard the good deposit... And the way in which we are going to guard the truths of the gospel that we proclaim is by following the ways of our Savior. And that means in your proclamation, in your guarding of the deposit, the good deposit, your life is going to show that the way up is down, that your strength is found in your weakness, and that your blessing is in your mourning. 
And that's what your life is going to exhibit if you were to embody both the life, death, and resurrection and ascension and the promised return of Jesus and all of his teachings. The more you embody Jesus, the more you're going to look like him. Your life and our life together as a church is going to show that God's kingdom is found in the margins and not at the centers of power. Now, if you were to embody that, what will the world see in us? I promise you this, that the last thing that the world will say about us is that we are combative. The last thing that the world will say about us is that we're militant, that we're arrogant, that we're standoffish, and that we're judgmental. Because they're going to see as we follow Jesus, what they're going to see is his followers taking seriously Jesus' call from Luke 9. They're going to see us denying ourselves daily, taking up the cross, and following him. No matter the humiliation, no matter the persecution, no matter the suffering. Now, having said that, I haven't answered the question of what does it mean that this call is delicate? Well, let me, uh, let me open it up this way. If you're to look at verse 6, here's a command that, uh, exhortation that Paul gives Timothy. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Now, for Timothy, the gift of God was in vocational ministry, right, as a full-time leader of the church. But speaking more broadly, we know from Ephesians 4 that we are told that every single Christian is given the gift, given a gift, right, to build up the kingdom of God in the ways that they embody the way of Jesus Christ in taking up the cross, embracing suffering for the sake of the world. So that means every single one of you in every sphere that God has placed you in, if you're in that area, that arena of life, you know that God has gifted you very specifically to live out of the gospel in that area. Whether you're a parent, whether in your workplace, in your community, God has placed you there and has given you a very specific gift to live out the gospel in that arena. Now, here's the task though. Whatever that gift may be, Paul says, the task is to fan into flame. Now think of a flame. Now the way it's depicted here, the flame is depicted as a delicate thing. Right? If you ever tried to start a campfire without a lighter or a match, I certainly have never done that, nor I think I ever will be. It takes a ton of work, I imagine. I've seen survival shows, you know. It takes a ton of work. And even once you get the fire going and you see the smoke starting to rise up, you need to nurture that fire. Right? You want to blow on it to give it oxygen, but you don't want to blow on it too hard as to snuff it out. You need kindling after kindling, and once it goes, once it's going and it's you know firing up on all cylinders, right? You can't just leave it be or the fire is gonna die out. You need to constantly stoke the fire with firewood. Right, he needs constant maintenance and care. And that's what Paul has in mind. He's saying, listen, the gift that God has given to you to live out the gospel in every sphere of your life is such that if you were to leave it be, it's going to be snuffed out. Why? 
Why? Because the gospel is so counterintuitive. The gospel runs so counter to our understanding of the world and the winds of the world that if we are not careful to guard it with every fiber of our being, it is easily snuffed out. Why? Because every single thing that we are told by the world and everything that our conscious even tells us is that the way up is not down, the way up is up. The last shall not be first, the last is last. (laughs) You're going to find salvation not in the finished work of Christ, but in the ongoing work towards your success. And it's so counterintuitive that if you are not to nurture it, It'll easily be snuffed out. And that's, friends, by the way, that's why it's so dangerous for Christianity to become mainstream. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was just so wanting everybody to know Jesus that, or, and, and for Christians to have such an impact on the world that any sign of, uh, of Christian theme that I found, I just assumed they were Christian. Oh, they must be Christian. And I was so disappointed that a musician that would talk about faith in some way would turn around and you know, say or do certain things that ran counter to the gospel. I just so wanted Christians to be influential in the world. Friends, that's a dangerous place. And for those of you that may have grown up in Christian culture, uh, you may have experienced this as well. There's nothing more dangerous than entering into a place where everybody thinks they, they, everybody assumes that they know the gospel. That is the easiest place for the gospel to be snuffed out. You know where the gospel comes alive? Is man, when, when you risk, when you have to risk your life to even utter a word about the gospel to others. That is the one place where you know that even if it costs you your life. You need to fan that into flame. See, the gospel is a delicate thing. Far be it for any of us to assume we know the gospel. But here's the beautiful thing. While this calling to live out of the gospel may be delicate in our hands, and we need to constantly nurture it, and the good news that we'll find in the last point is that we can do all of this in confidence because while this calling may be delicate in our hands, in God's hands, this calling is powerful. Powerful enough to stake your life on it and be assured that by His power you'll be carried through. So let's quickly go through uh, this last point here as we close. Now, there's one word that's scattered throughout the entire passage that we can't miss if we're going to live out our calling as the church, and that word is the word power. So look here with me. If you look at verses 6 to 7, it says, Fan into flame the gift of God, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of what? But of power and love and self-control. Look down verse 8. Don't be ashamed, he says, but suffer well by what? By the power of God. And even look down at verse 12. 
He says, I'm not ashamed. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard, or the little word, little word there, better translation would be, he is powerful in guarding until that day what has been entrusted to me. So Paul is saying, look, the way in which you live out of this calling is not going to be from some power that you try to muster up within yourself. No, if you're going to live out this calling faithfully in your generation, is you're going to have to understand that there is power that is within you. The word power there in the Greek is dunamis. And that's the word where we get the English word dynamite. Paul's saying, do you know that there's dynamite in you? See, friends, so much of pastoral work and what I find in the work of caring for one another as a church community is discovering together with whomever we are talking to the dynamite that is stored in them. Every single person that I talk to in pastoral ministry, it is so exciting for me to talk to them because I recognize that there is a power that, is, that God is looking to activate within them. And my job, and our job for one another, is to understand, however, that there are fears that is looking to cloud your perception of the power that is within you, right? There are fears that control us oftentimes. What is that fear for you, right? Many of us are driven by that fear, are we not, right? Fear of boredom, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of letting others down, fear of letting God down. And friends, it's the job of the church in the way we minister to one another to bring that fear to light and to speak the gospel into that fear, because Galatians told us that we are not to be driven by a, a, a spirit of slavery that leads us into fear. No, we are to exhibit the fearlessness of those who have the privilege of being called children of God. So there's power within us. Now, at the same time, it's important for us to note here, lest we think that this power is some inanimate force. What we find here in this passage is that this power is not an inanimate force, it's a person. When Paul talks about the spirit of power, and it's a good uh, kind of rubric for, for you to hold, most of the times when the New Testament mentions spirit, it's helpful to note that most of the time it's referring to the Holy Spirit, right? the per- third person of the Trinity, and friends, this is where the power of God resides, right? Do you realize that God, if you are a Christian, that God himself, by his spirit, resides in you? That whatever difficulty, whatever suffering you may be going through, there is this ever-present, intimate, and powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. For those of you that have come up to me after church and saying, hey, you know, pastor, I need prayer for this or that, and I I love praying with you guys, and I'll be available for prayer afterwards, but do you realize that you don't need my prayer? (laughs) And the joy that I have is understanding the Holy Spirit that resides in you, that is looking to do a powerful thing in your life. 
to unleash the power of God in your life, to activate that power in your life. Now, how does the Holy Spirit manifest His power? Here's how He does it. In John 15, He says, when Jesus speaking, He says, when the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send you to you from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And here's, and I'm going to close with this, here's how the Holy Spirit manifests His power in your life. He manifests the power of God in your life by bearing witness to your heart the truth and the person and the presence of Jesus Christ. The Spirit unleashes His power by witnessing to your heart the truth of the gospel. And here's what the witness of the Holy Spirit is. And we find this right here in the passage. It says that God by His power saved us and called us to a holy calling, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Friends, here is the witness The gospel is the promise of God that tells us that God in Jesus Christ has dealt with sin and death. That through shame, through suffering, through persecution, Jesus was putting the power of God on full display and saying, I took that upon myself on the cross. And if you were to trust in me, there is immortality, eternal life that is waiting for you. That means you are indestructible in the ultimate sense before the face of the enemy. And the work of the Spirit is to bring that immortality, that eternal life to bear in every nook and cranny of your life. And I'm just going to close this with with this. Grace Church, this is the calling that God has given to you. It is no different than the call of the Holy Spirit into our hearts. It is to manifest the power of God that is active and alive and at work in our midst. And how are we going to manifest the power of God? It is by our witness. It is by living out the counterintuitive ancient story of the gospel and bearing it in our words and in our deeds. And by our very presence, the world around us is going to experience the power of God on full display. And that's what has been passed down onto us, right? That's the shoulders on which we stand. And as we look at our children, as we look at those who are younger, whether biologically or spiritually than us, we look to them and say, how, how are we going to love on them even at the cost of my life in such a way as to pass down this calling onto them? That is the task that is before us. Friends, I am taking this task to another local body. But it is a calling of us as a church to live out of this calling, to pass it down to the next generation. Friends, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, may this be so in our lives together. Let's pray. Our Father, we give ourselves to you now. and Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. Father, there is... A Father, there's um, 
a power in this church. And you are doing amazing things through our church. And Father, we pray um, that for us as individuals and as a church, that we'll take this calling to live out and proclaim the gospel to one another and to the next generation. And thereby leaving a legacy of faith, not because of anything that we've done, but by your own purpose and grace by which you saved us. God, we thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, please stand as we sing our final song before we go into the Lord's Supper.